Section 7 of Children's Edition of Touching Incidents and Remarkable Answers to Prayer by S.B. Shaw. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tim Cote. Carletta and the Merchant If I could only have your faith, gladly would I, but I was born a skeptic. I cannot look upon God in the future as you do. So said John Harvey as he walked with a friend under a dripping umbrella. John Harvey was a skeptic of thirty years standing, and apparently hardened in his unbelief. Everybody had given him up as hopeless. Reasoning ever so calmly made no impression on the rocky soil of his heart. Alas, it was sad, very sad. But one friend had never given him up. When spoken to about him, I will talk with and pray for that man until I die, he said, and I will have faith that he may yet come out of the darkness into the marvelous light. And thus, whenever he met him, John Harvey was always ready for a talk, Mr. Hawkins pressed home the truth. In answer on that stormy night, he said, God can change a skeptic, John. He has more power over your heart than you, and I mean to still pray for you. Oh, I have no objections, none in the world. Seeing is believing, you know. I'm ready for any miracle, but I tell you it would take nothing short of a miracle to convince me. Let's change the subject. I'm hungry, and it's too far to go uptown to supper on this stormy night. Here's a restaurant. Let's stop here. How warm and pleasant it looked in the long, brilliant dining saloon. The two merchants had eaten, and were just on the point of rising when a strain of soft music came through the open door. A child's sweet voice. "'Pon my word, that is pretty,' said John Harvey. "'What purity in those tones!' "'Out of here, you little baggage!' cried a hoarse voice, and one of the waiters pointed angrily to the door. "'Let her come in,' said John Harvey. "'We don't allow them in this place, sir.' said the waiter. But she can go into the reading room. Well, let her go somewhere. I want to hear her, responded the gentleman. All this time, the two had seen the shadow of something hovering backwards and forwards on the edge of the door. Now they followed a slight little figure wrapped in a patched cloak, patched hood, and leaving the mark of wet feet as she walked. Curious to see her face, she was very small. John Harvey lured her to the farthest part of the great room, where there were but few gentlemen, and then motioned her to sing. The little one looked timidly up. Her cheek was of olive darkness, but a flush rested there, and out of the thinnest face, under the arch of broad temples, deepened by masses of the blackest hair, looked two eyes whose softness and tender pleading would have touched the hardest heart. That little thing is sick, I believe, said John Harvey compassionately. What do you sing, child? he added. I sing Italian or a little English. John Harvey looked at her shoes. Why, he exclaimed, and his lips quivered, her feet are wet to her ankles. She will catch her death of cold. By this time the child had begun to sing, pushing back her hood and folding before her her little thin fingers. Her voice was wonderful and simple and common as were both air and words, the pathos of the tones drew together several of the merchants in the reading room. The little song commenced thus. There is a happy land, 
far, far away. Never could the voice, the manner of that child be forgotten. There almost seemed a halo around her head, and when she had finished, her great speaking eyes turned toward John Harvey. Look here, child, where did you learn that song? he asked. At the Sunday school, sir. And you don't suppose there is a happy land? I know there is. I'm going to sing there, she said, so quickly, so decidedly, that the men looked at each other. Going to sing there? Yes, sir. Mother said so. She used to sing to me until she was very sick. Then she said she wasn't going to sing any more on earth, but up in heaven. Well, and what then? And then she died, sir, said the child, tears brimming down the dark cheek, now ominously flushed scarlet. John Harvey was silent for a few moments. Presently he said, Well, if she died, my little girl, you may live, you know. Oh, no, sir, no, sir, I'd rather go there and be with mother. Sometimes I have a dreadful pain in my side and cough as she did. There won't be any pain up there, sir. It's a beautiful world. How do you know? faltered on the lips of the skeptic. My mother told me so, sir. Words, how impressive. Manner, how childlike, and yet so wise. John Harvey had had a praying mother. His chest labored for a moment. The sobs that struggled for utterance could be heard even in their depths, and still those large, soft, lustrous eyes, like magnets, impelled his glance toward them. Child, you must have a pair of shoes, John Harvey's voice was husky. Hands were thrust in pockets, purses pulled out, and the astonished child held in her little palm more money than she had ever seen before. Her father is a poor, consumptive organ grinder, whispered one. I suppose he's too sick to be out tonight. Along the soggy street went the child, under the protection of John Harvey, but not with shoes that drank the water at every step. Warmth and comfort were hers now. Down in the deep, den-like lanes of the city walked the man, a little cold hand in his. At an open door they stopped. Up broken, creaking stairs they climbed. Another doorway was open, and a wheezing voice called out of the dim arch, Carletta! Oh, father, father, see what I have brought you! Look at me, look at me! And down went the silver, and venting her joy, the poor child fell, crying and laughing together into the old man's arms. Was he a man? A face dark and hollow, all overgrown, with hair black as night and uncombed, a pair of wild eyes, a body bent, nearly double, hands like claws, did he give you all of this, my child? They all did, father. Now you shall have soup and oranges. Thank you, sir. I'm sick, you see. All gone, sir. Had to send the poor child out or we'd starve. God bless you, sir. I wish I was well enough to play you a tune. And he looked wistfully towards the corner where stood the old organ, bass covered, the bays in tatters. One month after that, the two men met again, as if by agreement, and walked slowly downtown. Treading innumerable passages, they came to the gloomy building where lived Carletta's father. No, not lived there, for as they paused a moment, out came two or three men bearing a pine coffin. In the coffin slept the old organ grinder. It was very sudden, sir, said a woman, who recognized his benefactor. Yesterday the little girl was too sick, and it seemed as if he drooped right away. 
He died at six last night. The two men went silently upstairs. The room was empty of everything save a bed, a chair, and a nurse provided by John Harvey. The child lay there, not white, but pale as marble, with a strange polish on her brow. Well, my little one, are you better? Oh, no, sir. Father has gone up there, and I am going. Up there? John Harvey turned unconsciously toward his friend. Did you ever hear of Jesus? asked John Harvey's friend. Oh, yes. Do you know who he was? Good Jesus, murmured the child. Hawkins, this breaks me down, said John Harvey, and he placed his handkerchief to his eyes. Don't cry, don't cry. I can't cry. I'm so glad, said the child exultingly. What are you glad for, my dear? asked John Harvey's friend. To get away from here, she said deliberately. I used to be so cold in the winter, for we didn't have fire sometimes, but mother used to hug me close and sing about heaven. Mother told me to never mind and kissed me and said if I was his, the Savior would love me and one of these days would give me a better home. And so I gave myself to him, for I wanted a better home, and oh, I shall sing there and be so happy. With a little sigh, she closed her eyes. Harvey, are faith and hope nothing? asked Mr. Hawkins. Don't speak to me, Hawkins. To be as that little child, I would give all I have. And to be like her, you need give nothing, only your stubborn will, your skeptical doubts, and the heart that will never know rest till at the feet of Christ. There was no answer. Presently the hands moved, the arms were raised, the eyes opened. Yet glazed though they were, they turned still upward. See, she cried. Oh, there is mother, and angels, and they are all singing. Her voice faltered, but the celestial brightness lingered yet on her face. There is no doubting the soul triumph there, whispered Mr. Hawkins. It is wonderful, replied John Harvey, looking on both with awe and tenderness. Is she gone? He sprang from his chair as if he would detain her, but the chest and forehead were marble now. The eyes had lost the fire of life. She must have died as she lay looking at them. She was always a sweet little thing, said the nurse softly. John Harvey stood as if spellbound. There was a touch on his arm. He started. John, said his friend with an affectionate look, shall we pray? For a minute there was no answer. Then came tears. The whole frame of the subdued skeptic shook as he said, it was almost a cry, yes, pray, pray. And from the side of the dead child went up agonizing pleadings to the throne of God. And that prayer was answered. The miracle was wrought. The lion became a lamb. The doubter, a believer. The skeptic, a Christian. A track. How Three Sunday School Children Met Their Fate When the Lawrence Mills were on fire a number of years ago, I don't mean on fire, but when the mill fell in, the great mill fell in, and after it had fallen in, the ruins caught fire, there was only one room left entire, and in it were three Mission Sunday School children in prison. 
The neighbors and all hands got their shovels and picks and crowbars and were working to set the children free. It came on night, and they had not yet reached the children. When they were near them, by some mischance, the lantern broke and the ruins caught fire. They tried to put it out, but could not succeed. They could talk with the children and even pass to them some refreshment and encourage them to keep up. But, alas, the flames drew nearer and nearer to the prison. Superhuman were the efforts made to rescue the children. The men bravely fought back the flames, but the fire gained fresh strength and returned to claim its victims. Then piercing shrieks arose when the spectators saw that the efforts of the firemen were hopeless. The children saw their fate. They then knelt down and commenced to sing the little hymn we have all been taught in our Sunday school days. Oh, how sweet! Let others seek a home below, which flames devour and waves overflow. The flames had now reached them. The stifling smoke began to pour into their little room, and they began to sink one by one upon the floor. A few moments more, and the fire circled around them, and their souls were taken into the bosom of Christ. Yes, let others seek a home below if they will, but seek ye the kingdom of God with all your hearts. Moody's Anecdotes He blesses God for the faith of his little girl. I came home one night very late, said Brother Matthew Hale Smith in his Marvels of Prayer, and had gone to bed to seek needed rest. The friend with whom I boarded awoke me out of my first refreshing sleep and informed me that a little girl wanted to see me. I turned over in bed and said, I am very tired. Tell her to come in the morning and I will see her. My friend soon returned and said, I think you had better get up. The girl is a poor little suffering thing. She is thinly clad, is without bonnet or shoes. She has seated herself on the doorstep and says she must see you and will wait till you get up. I dressed myself, and opening the outside door, I saw one of the most forlorn-looking little girls I ever beheld. Want, sorrow, suffering, neglect seemed to struggle for the mastery. She looked up to my face and said, Are you the man that preached last night and said that Christ could save to the uttermost? Yes. Well, I was there, and I want you to come right down to my house and try to save my poor father. Well, what's the matter with your father? He's a very good father when he don't drink. He's out of work and he drinks awfully. He's almost killed my poor mother, but if Jesus can save to the uttermost, he can save him. And I want you to come right to our house now. I took my hat and followed my little guide who trotted on before, halting as she turned the corners to see that I was coming. Oh, what a miserable den her home was! A low, dark, underground room, the floor all slush and mud, not a chair, table, or bed to be seen. A bitter cold night and not a spark of fire on the hob, and the room not only cold but dark. In the corner, on a little dirty straw, lay a woman. Her head was bound up, and she was moaning as if in agony. As we darkened the doorway, a feeble voice said, Oh, my child! My child, why have you brought a stranger into this horrible place? Her story was a sad one, but soon told. Her husband, out of work, maddened with drink and made desperate, had stabbed her because she did not provide him with a supper that was not in the house. 
He was then upstairs, and she was expecting every moment that he would come down and complete the bloody work he had begun. While the conversation was going on, the fiend made his appearance. A fiend he looked. He brandished the knife, still wet with the blood of his wife. The missionary, like the man among the tombs, had himself belonged to the desperate classes. He was converted at the mouth of a coal pit. He knew the disease and the remedy, knew how to handle a man on the borders of delirium tremens. Subdued by the tender tones, the man calmed down and took a seat on a box. But the talk was interrupted by the little girl, who approached the missionary and said, Don't talk to father. It won't do any good. If talking would have saved him, he would have been saved long ago. Mother has talked to him so much and so good. You must ask Jesus, who saves to the uttermost, to save my poor father. Rebuked by the faith of the little girl, the missionary and the miserable sinner knelt down together. He prayed as he had never prayed before. He entreated and interceded in tones so tender and fervent that it melted the desperate man who cried for mercy. And mercy came. He bowed in penitence before the Lord and lay down that night on his pallet of straw, a pardoned soul. Relief came to that dwelling. The wife was lifted from her dirty couch and her home was made comfortable. On Sunday, the reformed man took the hand of his little girl and entered the infant class to learn something about the Savior who saves to the uttermost. He entered upon a new life. His reform was thorough. He found good employment, for when sober, he was an excellent workman, and next to his Savior, he blesses God for the faith of his little girl, who believed in a Savior able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God by him. End of section 7 Recording by Tim Cote of Santa Maria, California September 6, 2013